Well, what is up? First Wednesday, make some noise wherever you are at. Man, you survived the new year. You're here, everybody, just you're alive. Take a deep breath. Oh, if you don't feel good yet, we're going to get you there. Don't worry, you made it. So if we have not met yet, I am Pastor Peter Haas, and of course, it is the new year, January 1st, Wednesday, and I'll tell you, you know what I love about January, and what I also hate about January is the 21-day fast, but I love it. Uh, you know, you kind of love to hate it, but you love it, right? But I, I, every year we love to start things out with a fast. And some of you, is that because we ate so many Christmas cookies? Yeah, some of us. But, you know, more than that, actually, it's, I'll tell you what. I, here's why I, I've learned to love fasting because every time I fast, God reveals something so profound to me that I think to myself, whoa, I cannot believe I tried to live without that, okay? Because here's the truth, okay? I love, I love what it says about Daniel. He was a man of prayer and fasting, and God gave him revelation after revelation after revelation, and I just, about everything, about everything. I mean, I, I just, I, I wanna say this because I think a lot of you, you miss this, the Bible actually says that, that, that God, you know, reveals himself to those who fear him, that he actually confides in those who fear him, Psalm 25 says. Okay, well, one of the ways we demonstrate that fear is by just embracing inconvenient disciplines. Why would God do that? Well, really, it's just that I think he loves, our, he loves worship that involves sacrifice. And so fasting is just one of those spiritual disciplines. And, and you don't always have to fast food. You can fast TV. You can fast the internet. You can fast video games. You can fast, I, I knew, I talked to a girl who was like, I'm fasting makeup. Or, you know, like I thought, Wow, that's unique. Um, did you ask your husband first? No, I'm just like, uh, you're, some of you are like, no, we should fast makeup all the time, women. Woo! Okay, that's cool. I love that, okay? A lot of you guys, man, if I went off on what you should be fasting, you should be fasting that all the time, okay? But uh, no, for real though, I, like, I, what I do every year is I'm like, fast. I, I always ask the Lord, what should I fast? I do ask my wife actually as well. And because sometimes she's got some input, like, yeah, you do play a lot of Call of Duty, okay? You should stop that, okay? So, like, uh, the point is, is that I think I, you gotta pray about what you should fast, and if you've never fasted before, check out my blog this week, peterhaas.org. I actually go into, like, how do you do extended, like, water-only fast for 21 days? Or how do you do just, you know, fasting TV? How do you, uh, like, every year, here's what happens, though. Every year I do it, all of a sudden, God speaks to me in such profound ways, and it could be about my kids. Peter, this is what I want you to do with your son. Actually, I want you to approach your daughter more like this. I want you to approach your marriage like this. These are the types of things I want you to do with your family, okay? Or sometimes it's even like, God will even speak to me about finances, about I want you to give this person a significant amount of money, and don't ask why, just give it to them. But God, okay? 
okay, okay. And God will even rearrange my schedule. He'll actually speak to me. This year, I want you to emphasize these things more than those things. And you know what? As I look back, all of a sudden, it becomes super profound. I can't tell you how many times. In fact, actually, we planted this church because of a fast. We were living in another state. And the Lord was like, I want you to resign your church. I want you to move to Minneapolis. I want you to plant a church. And you know what? It makes a great story after the fact, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? But I, I want you to understand, it was those moments that altered my life. What if the Lord was altering your life this year and all he needed you to do was stop and listen, even just for a couple days, and then he'll speak to you? What if in the next week or two, God gave you a nugget that would fundamentally change your career, your marriage, your parenting, your physical body. And if you're wondering if he wants to speak to you about these things, the answer is yes. He is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? I just was reading my journal entries from this time last year. And uh, I had only been like, I was a couple days into the water only fast and all of us, like, that's when the Lord started speaking to me about 2025 vision, 2030 vision for substance, about the campuses. This is what I want you to do with books. This is what I want you to do with albums. This is what I want you to do. Because, you know, like, you, you guys saw, like, the sitcom that we did at, at Christmas time. The truth is, is we could, we could do a motion picture if we wanted to. The, the question is, is it time, Lord? I don't ever want to presume to know what the Lord's will is without seeking him, because one of the things that I have figured out over the years, if I just do what feels right to me, it leads me to all sorts of dumb things, okay? Because I don't know what God knows, and you don't either. And that's why we need to start the year by getting as much of God's thoughts into our hearts as we possibly can. And so if you've never joined us in this fast, please, please do. In fact, even just the last couple days, I was even just one of my fasting breakthroughs was, Lord, just really speak to me. So we're co-writing, Carolyn and I are co-writing a book uh, that we'll be releasing, I don't even know when, but uh, it, we, yeah, we're, we're, our book publisher will officially launch this year, and then we're going to be releasing several books. But, um, you know, we're, we're writing this book of all these, like, miracle stories, kind of like the, like, inspirational stories, like, like at Christmas, I shared the Fanny Crosby story. Um, we're going to be putting a whole bunch of stories like that, like, but, but like dozens of them. Um, that will just encourage people. But you know what? I don't want to just write a book. I, wanna, I don't want to have a good idea. I want to have a God idea. I want to have a word in season that cuts through the mix. But the thing is, is that I can't do that unless I stop and I listen to God. And then God says, you know what, Peter, that one chapter you were excited about, do not write that one. Put this story in. I can't tell you how many times God wrecked my agenda, and I can't tell you how many times I'm so glad he did because my idea was a good idea, not a God idea. Sometimes they weren't even good ideas. You know what I'm saying? Like It was like, woo, what was that? That was a dumb idea. You know, I, I think God wants to rescue you from dumb ideas. He also wants to rescue you from good ideas, and if you're wondering if he has that God idea, he does, but there are certain Answers that he will only give in response to prayer and fasting. 
So join us, okay? And if you just want to learn about it, peterhaas.org. Uh, that all said, okay, I, I just, I'm, I wanted to say that because I just wanted you to know, like even, even Carolyn and I kind of being out of the pulpit a little bit more in the new year, it's actually so that we can devote ourselves to leadership. It's to devote ourselves to hearing the, the voice of the Lord on behalf of our church and the campuses we're going to launch this year. Come on, somebody. We're, but, but it's also buildings, you guys. There's a lot of buildings that we're looking at for both west side and a potential east side. And so just be praying with me, okay? Just, just, I don't want to make good decisions. I want to make God decisions. And so would you guys just, even if it's just one day of fasting, would you guys participate sometime this month in fasting? Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. Now, uh, tonight, you guys are really in for a treat. We have some of my favorite people in the universe. In fact, Wayne Francis, come on up here real fast. Uh, many of you know Wayne because uh, Wayne has... Wayne has been here a lot over the years, and we just we just can't get enough. You know what I'm saying? I just love you so much. We're like, we're like the same age and, uh, you know, same vintage... You know what I'm saying? And that's special. But no, more than that, I just, it's the spirit that is on you. I sense the Holy Spirit. I feel joy. I feel peace when I'm around you. I feel cr more creative. And of course, just even getting, so he pastors a church just north of New York City, just the coolest church ever, the Life Church, New York. And, but then just getting to know Classy, your wife, in the house. To, I mean, you got, Classy, it's so fun to have you here as well. And uh, you have to understand, having your, your husband here, it's super, super fun. But having the two of you here together is even more fun because there's just something special about the two of you. But I just, you know, every time I'm around you, I just want to be around you more. And every time, our, every time I brought you up to our church, this is how I knew I wanted to bring you back again. <laughs> every time I bring you, every time I, like, Wayne Francis, oh my gosh, I love that guy. He's actually more fun to listen to than you. I love that. I love that. No, I don't, it's like, to me, no, actually, you're, seriously, you, you have the joy of the Lord, and there's something special, and we just need more of it. And so, church, we're just wherever you're at, I want you to catch a word out of this man of God tonight. And so, would you just stand to your feet, wherever you're at, give him a warm substance welcome. Wayne Francis. I love you. Oh my goodness. Wow, 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 oh man. Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! God is good, you may be seated. Can you give it up for your pastors? Amazing. The Haases love them so much. Your pastors love you. They have loved on me and our family so much. You may be seated. And we were blessed last year. They came and spoke at our church, and we're just so privileged to be in relationship with them. There is a grace that comes across from your pastors. They bless us. Can you give it up for the Puccinis as well? Those are close friends of mine. Love you so much. Your church is led by such great people. To all of our volunteers and the people that have made yes last year a banner year for Substance and have set us up for a great year. Can we give it up for all of our volunteers that are serving and served last year? All of our campus pastors, our campus staff, our campus volunteers. Give it up for DJ Kirk, my guy. Let's go. Come on. So we're going to get into the Word, and it's so nice to see so many of you out on the first Wednesday of the year. This is great. 
And um, I was thinking about last year and some of the things that were significant for me last year. And one of the things that came up to me that um, is actually kind of rare. I'm glad my wife's here, by the way. I know we gave her some props before, but I don't want to forget you. It's so amazing to have you here with me for the first time at Substance. My wife, this is amazing. Love you. But last year I was thinking about it. One of the things that really bothered me is that I have horrible allergies. There was a segment of my year that was devoted to allergies. I'm talking about the entire weekend being plagued by itchy eyes. And I looked like my eyes were bloodshot at some points during the year. They were almost sealed up at other times when I woke up in the morning. So much allergies. I had been ingesting a bunch of pills. Is there anybody else that struggles with allergies during the year? It may not be now, but at some point, you're going to need to give God a Claritin D praise. Can we... Can we is there anybody that's been delivered by Jesus and Zyrtec in this house? Is there, is there any Benadryl saints in the house? Come on and give them a praise if, if Claritin D has brought you through at some point. Man, I remember one weekend where I took four pills and I thought that it was going to help me. I had to drop Visine in my eyes. All of this attempt to push back the impact of something that I didn't know was affecting me. So I went to the doctor and I found out that I was actually allergic, I'm still allergic, to pollen. To pollen. Maybe some of you are allergic to pollen. I hear some people out there that are nodding their heads and smiling. It's interesting because it's invisible, but it's impactful. I can't see pollen for the most part, but I can definitely feel the effects of pollen. Already, I'm feeling affirmation from people in this audience through your sniffles and your eye rubs. Some of you are allergic to something right now. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not allergic to pollen, Wayne. I'm not allergic to anything that I know of. But I guarantee you that all of us in this room, if you're not allergic to pollen, you are allergic to people. Don't look to the person to the left or right of you. That's rude and um, can cause you a lot of drama going home. <laughs> we are allergic to people at times who have hurt us and harmed us. Most of the time emotionally, what we can do is we try our best to ease the annoying impacts that they have on us, but we can run out of the options of getting around people or at least avoiding people that have hurt us. This is why some of us love a multi-site church or a multi-service church so that you don't have to see the person that you're allergic to in the 9 a.m. service or at the campus you're attending now. You could just go someplace else. Oh, it got quiet on that one. All right, well... <laughs> what if there was a way for us to receive freedom from the hurt that was caused to us by someone else? What if we could have a greater year spiritually if we didn't bring in a hurt from last year? What if we were able to be followers of Jesus that didn't have to always struggle to relieve the hurt or the harm that was caused to us when we were young children or when we were in a different marriage or when we were in a friendship that we thought was going to last for our entire lifetime? Well, according to a research group called Barna that studies the behaviors of Christians in North America, they said that around one in four practicing Christians, about 23%, has a person in their life who they just can't forgive. So that means in this room right now, I'm preaching to people that have somebody in mind. The minute I just said that, somebody just came to your mind, a visual that you won't forgive. 27% identify somebody that they don't want to forgive. <laughs> They're like, I could, but I don't want to. 
And then there's 23% that identify somebody that they can't forgive. They've made the decision that I'm just not going to forgive that person, whether it's a simple spat with a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a long-held resentment toward a coworker, a family member, or friend. Unforgiveness can go deeper than we think. It can actually impact our physical health. So there's good news, though, because studies have found that the act of forgiveness can actually give us huge rewards in our physical and spiritual health. It can lower the risk of heart attack. It can improve your cholesterol levels and sleep. It can reduce pain in your body. And it can reduce depression, stress, and levels of anxiety just by forgiving somebody. So why are we hindering ourselves on the spiritual and the physical effects and ramifications of forgiveness? See, when I became a follower of Jesus, I noticed something, that the hurts and the harm that I've received from people most frequently came from someone that was in the closest proximity to me. It was the person that I led with or the person that I loved or the person that I served with. And by default, I became a mental mathematician of how people have hurt me over the years. And I repeat those narratives in myself and I actually react to people because sometimes even I harbor unforgiveness. Maybe this is why Jesus embedded this wonderful story for us to examine. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, there's been this building opposition to Jesus. People don't like him. He is teaching and he is saying things that are revolutionary to their time, just like it is to our time now. And there's a religious group of people who are called the Pharisees, who in their minds, the Old Testament law of Moses is the highest standard to follow. And in chapter 14 of the book of Luke, Jesus is eating at a table with a person that's a Pharisee and he is telling them about beautiful things about the kingdom of God and he heals somebody on the Sabbath. A big no-no. Como se dice? No, no, no. In chapter 5, 15, Jesus told three parables about things that have been lost to show us about God the Father and how he enjoys finding lost things and how gracious God is. And then we get into the text in chapter 17. One day, Jesus says to his disciples, there will be temptation, always temptations, to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. I understand the disciples in this audience or that Jesus is speaking to, to be a mixed batch of people, people that believe in the person of Jesus and people that doubt the person of Jesus. And he is speaking to this broad and diverse audience. And he says to them, it'd be better to be thrown into a sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So sin, Jesus says, in this sense is invisible, but it's inevitable. And that we have to protect ourselves against it because God wants every one of us in this room to be staircases to the Father, not stumbling blocks. So this issue is a big deal. So this is why he says in verse 3, watch yourselves. Start with yourself. Are you hurting others? Are you the one that's causing pain in the lives of others? We love to externalize the things that are happening to us instead of realizing that we export hurt. And so when it comes to the subject matter of forgiveness, we have to make sure that we're not externalizing. God wants us to be staircases that lead to his presence, not stumbling blocks. So he says if another believer sins, rebuke that person, that person. Then if there's repentance, forgive. 
We're prone to try to correct the behavior of everybody else except for us. And yet for all, we have to be a person that holds a person accountable. So that means rebuke the person that hurt you, not the church that hurt you, not the whole pastoral staff that hurt you, not the entire life group that hurt you, not the, oh, I wish I had some people that helped me preach that part right now. The person. Don't write the entire group off. Jesus goes further, and it's tough. He says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must pay, forgive. That's tough. Like, I just... I struggle with that. I know y'all are more spiritual here. I'm not that spiritual. This is a hard saying. Repeatedly? This is hard stuff. Are there boundaries to forgiving somebody? What about the cheating spouse that keeps sliding into everybody's DMs? Do, do I forgive him or her? What about people that commit senseless acts of violence on others? What about people I trust over and over again that keep hurting me? And forgiveness just seems so one-sided. Do I forgive that person? It seems like bad algebra for the allergy that we're all impacted by. So what I'm saying to you tonight and what we're about to get into is hard. But Jesus often gives us hard sayings, but he never gives us impossible sayings. So it may be difficult, but it's something that disciples us because he's ultimately inviting us into a better life, inviting us to experience charity and forgiveness and freedom and happiness. So it's the responsibility of everyone in this room that is a believer. For those of us that have made Jesus Lord of our lives, the goal is to bring a person into repentance and also reconciliation, which there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive, but the relationship may not reconcile. <laughs> so, but, but Jesus says, here's your responsibility. To the one who sins against you, forgive. To the one who repeatedly sins against us, forgive. To the one who sins against us and only says that they repented, we still got to forgive them too. <laughs> Have you ever judged somebody's apology? <laughs> All day long, baby. <laughs> your boy judges apologies you're not crying when you say sorry not good enough no gift card when you say sorry not forgiving you no groveling no knee crawling no bottom lip trembling while you say sorry can't forgive you I'm like John the Baptist bring forth fruits of repentance dog not playing that but Jesus doesn't ask us to do sincerity tests he says forgiveness is agnostic to how you feel it's an option for us that we have to employ forgiving once is already a challenge for most of us but to forgive somebody multiple times almost sounds preposterous and Jesus just does not stop barreling down the apostles said oh snap they're like me they're from the hood the apostles like mm-mm I've been around Peter, mm-mm. If you had to deal with the rest of them, I'm sick and tired of the expense reports from Judas. I don't like him. The apostle said, Lord, show us how to increase our faith. They're like, I don't got enough faith. You're going to have to help me. And maybe today you're thinking you don't have enough faith, that you don't possess enough inside of you right now to forgive the person that molested you or to forgive the person that hurt you. 
And, and, and interestingly enough, I love this. We don't have enough time to get into this, but I love this part so much. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, you can read it yourself. Jesus gives his disciples authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And then in this chapter, you have the apostles asking a big question. They had the power to cast out demons, to deal with diseases, but they found that they didn't have enough faith to forgive somebody. Isn't it so interesting how churches can talk about rebuking demons, casting out sickness, but we cannot forgive somebody that hurt us? So, so, so here's, here's where Jesus becomes brilliant. He says, well, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Jesus here says it's not the size of the faith that accomplishes greater things. It's whether you use it or not. See, we're all allergic to people at one point or another. And I believe that there are some of us in this room today, for you to grow spiritually, this year, in 2024, you're going to have to forgive somebody. You're going to have to open up your heart and your hands so that you can receive what God wants to give you in this season. Because you can't hold God and a grudge at the same time. It, it, it's impossible for you to do both. It, it, listen to me. <laughs> Today, I know that there's some deficiencies in this room, but there is not a deficiency of faith. Read the book of Romans. Every person is given a measure of faith to exercise. In fact, God has given you all that you need. So there's no deficiency of faith. There's only a deficiency of the use of faith in this room. So before we understand this hard saying about bitterness and unforgiveness, we need to see why Jesus says a mulberry tree. You ever wonder that? I was reading this passage. I said, why is Jesus talking about a mulberry tree? Why not an apple tree? Why not some other fruit tree, a mulberry tree? I believe it's a deliberate mention. I think that there is something in here. Why not an oak tree? Why not? Why the mulberry tree? I believe that he uses this to symbolize the detrimental impact of unforgiveness in our lives. First of all, this mulberry tree was a popular tree in that region. It grew rather tall, and it also had deep roots. It had a wide root system, and it grew so deep that it made it very difficult to uproot in the desert terrain. So unfortunately, even cutting it down to its stump was not good enough to remove it. You had to dig the main root out and pull out each root in order to get it connected to something else, to get it away from the source. There's homeowners here today, right? We got some people that own homes. Have you ever had to have a tree cut down in your front yard? This is why some of us struggle with giving offerings and paying tithes at a church. Because if you ever have to have a tree cut down, you know you're broke right after it. We had to cut down a tree at our house, and the man came over and said, a thousand dollars! I said, what? He said, a thousand dollars. I said, to cut it down? And to, and a thousand dollars? I said, no, it's going to have to fall on the house. We not saying timber today, bro. This is thousand dollars? What I learned is that it's expensive to take out things that have deep roots. And for some of us, whoo, I feel like preaching now, my God. 
For some of us, it's going to be expensive for you to forgive somebody. It's going to cost you to take some emotional inventory. It's going to take some of us to get some emotional border control. It's going to take some of us to say, hey, I'm going to have to interrogate some of the feelings and some of the things that are going inside of me. It's expensive to cut down deep-rooted things. And some of us have some, some real trees that we have to deal with one at a time. Number two, the reason why Jesus may have been saying this mulberry tree, the speed and the popularity in which that tree grew in that region made it accessible for one major industry. Are you ready for the industry that it funded the most? <laughs> Funerals. Because they use that tree very often to build caskets and coffins. The symbolism is powerful. The wood from the tree is used to develop products of death and burial and signifies how anchoring bitterness in our souls will eventually bury and murder our marriages and our ministries and our relationships. It is used for a symbol of things that die. Number three, are you ready? Here's where I kind of press in a little bit even more. The fruit from the mulberry tree was fruit that was quite bitter. <laughs> And so poor people in that region would often eat the bitter fruit of that tree. And it would take a real long time to eat. You ever eat something sour? It just takes you a long time. You just like, man. So poor people would eat it, and it was a bitter fruit. Nothing echoes louder than unforgiveness. And it takes a long time to get rid of it. In fact, nothing impoverishes us more than unforgiveness. Bitter people are usually the poorest people. And so the primary consumers would sit down and eat it. And this is one of the reasons why a bitter attitude not only makes us spiritually poor, it frequently makes us defeated, depressed, sick, financially poor. And when we take a bite of offense, we wallow on it. We ponder it. We digest it. And we repeat the cycle over and over again. Here's the last reason why Jesus may have said this mulberry tree. This tree was only pollinated by wasps, which means... It produced fruit, but it had to be stung to produce fruit. <laughs> now, some of us want to produce fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit that we're producing is actually because we've had the sting of offense. And we produce fruit that is not useful to other people. In other words, we are stung and we're hurt and we produce this fruit over and over again, bitter fruit of unforgiveness growing in our hearts everywhere. And here's the deal. This, true, this tree grew best in desert places. In other words, if it was dry, it could still grow fast. This is one of the reasons why I always preach to people about being spiritually connected to the body of Christ and other people to allow the reign of God's presence because when we get dry, when we get brittle, when we get unplugged from the church, when we get unplugged from relationships, some things can grow. Negative attitudes will flourish in some spiritually dry conditions because we don't let go of our offense. And tonight, Jesus is pulling and pointing to maybe a mulberry tree in our own hearts. 
and you know exactly what it is, or you know exactly who it is. It's a person on your team. It's a person you serve with. It's a person in your family. It's a person you may be dating. It's a person that you may be married to right now, that you have only given them a little bit of a leash for them to move further, but you're still locked into bitterness and unforgiveness. That's what's going on, and you cannot hold God and a grudge at the same time. I want to let you know that sometimes roots go hundreds of feet down into the soil, and some of us have it into our our system where we have to unpull some of the things that have grown so deep in us. So how do you do that? You got to pray. That's why we're launching 21 days of prayer because we have to be people that pray. In fact, Jesus thought forgiveness was so important that when he taught his disciples to pray, forgiveness was lodged right in the middle of it. In other words, you cannot pray and I cannot pray effectively if we're not asking for forgiveness and forgiving people. That's how powerful it is. Jesus actually says, pray like this and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Listen to this. The disciples asked for an increase of faith and Jesus denied their prayer request. Jesus is like, no, nah, you're good. They're like, hey, increase our faith. Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Denies their prayer request. Why does, oh my God, why does Jesus deny their prayer requests. Let me tell you why he does it. Because he's not looking to increase our faith. He's looking to increase our obedience. You've got enough faith. Now use it. You got enough faith. Now be obedient. You got enough faith. Forgive somebody. You got enough faith. Forgive your husband. You got enough faith. Forgive your sister-in-law. You got enough faith. Forgive your father-in-law. Jesus says, just like the tiny little pills that we use to correct the sickness that we feel when we're allergic, I've given you something tiny and small. And if you use it, it is loaded with enough stuff to correct the impact that you feel every time that person walks into your life or every time that person walks into your mindset. Just one pill, one pill will do it. Sort of like one gospel dad joke that you needed and you missed it. That's why I know y'all need to pray because that was an amazing dad joke. One pill, gospel, you'll get it next time. <laughs> Jesus gives us the equation, if you forgive those who sin against you, <laughs> now some of y'all are getting, you're like, oh, ha, ha, got it, okay. I forgive you. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a transactional thing, but it's not as formulaic as it may seem. In summary, forgiveness is the result of a deep-rooted relationship with God. And the more you root yourself in God is the more you'll have ease in forgiving the people that have hurt you. I have a guy on my staff, and... Man, I can tell you, shout out to Jimmy D. He might be watching tonight. He's amazing. And all year round, he takes Claritin D. All year round. I went to his house, and I looked in his garbage can. I was throwing something out there, and there was tons of boxes of Claritin D. And I was like, I'm not paying him enough. He started a meth lab in his house. <laughs> and I'm like, why is he always going to different CVSs and different, different Walgreens? It's a meth lab. I said, Jimmy, why do you have so much Claritin D 
in your garbage can. I want to know now, do you have a problem? I want to get you help, buddy. I want to get you some help. And he said, no, man, I just got allergies all year round, like all the time. I said, you can't take that every single day. And he says, yes, you can. So I went to the source of truth, the truth that we always can get a reliable answer from, the truth that is undeniable, the internet. <laughs> and I Googled it. Can you take Claritin D every day? And actually, you can. And I was really asking for forgiveness because I thought he was a liar. But, 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 but he taught me something. Some of us are allergic to something every single day. And because of that, you have to make sure that you medicate it with the right things. Prayer is the antidote to the pain that we feel that you can never overdose on or over-medicate on. That every single day, we need to be praying to forgive others and for us to be forgiven as well for the offenses that we cause to other people. Year-round, some of us need to do that. Some of our grudges are seasonal. Some of us, just a certain period of time in the year, maybe it's Mother's Day, you get really triggered because you didn't have a great mom. Maybe on Father's Day, you start to get really upset when the church starts to celebrate. Or maybe you start feeling jealousy and anger because your dad didn't raise you well and he wasn't there for you when you needed him. He didn't protect you. He didn't do... There's certain seasons when some of us get triggered and need to apply forgiveness. That's why God's formula is just in case, pray this daily. Because you don't know when things are going to trigger you. So every day, embed it in your system so that you're always okay. I know I have to do it all the time because I have daddy issues. Big time. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. It jacks with our marriage because I'm an affirmation addict. Because in some ways, I feel like I need male affirmation to feel like I'm good enough. So here's the lie that I have to always rebuke the most that I hear from the evil one. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough husband. You're not a good enough brother. You're not a good enough friend. And I think it's all started and rooted in the way my dad was very absent from my life. Young black man in the city of New York. And what do you do? You start looking for affirmation from the dudes on the street. Most young black guys don't want to be criminals. They just want love. And they find it on the street. My dad was a very tough Jamaican guy, Jamaican. I tell you about him all the time. I'm a Jafakian. I was born here in the U.S. <laughs> he was very rough on me growing up. And he always... Um, would make me speak very proper because he was an immigrant and he had an accent. And he was like, you're black and, and I don't want anybody to think you're stupid. So I want you to speak properly. So I would always have to have the right diction. I couldn't say um and ah and uh, like in sentences because he would just always be rough. So even when I'm preaching sometimes, I can hear my dad in my head if I said uh or um. I can hear his voice in my head. It's stuff that I have to work through. But he was very physically tough to my mom domestic abuse, he had alcoholism for a while, and he was very aggressive. I can remember one time we were in Chuck E. Cheese's. We got Chuck E. Cheese out here? Oh my God, can we give a God a praise for Chuck E. Cheese back in the day? 
Little mouse was God's mouse, better than Mickey. I got to hasten. My, so, so my dad, I went to Chuck E. Cheese, and he, I, I've always been bad at math. Like, I'm, I'm terrible at math, right? So, so, so I, I ran into Chuck E. Cheese. He said, go get some pizza, and he was waiting for me outside. And, you know, you get to jump in the ball pit and playing video games and all this stuff. It was awesome. And so I went and got the pie, and I came back out, and, 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 and I jumped in the back seat of the car. He was in the front seat, and he said, where's my change? So I said, oh, here, here. I had the receipt and the change. I just put it in his hands, and, 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 and I opened up the box. I was going to eat pizza. And he said, you have the wrong change. You're so stupid. You're a dummy. You're an idiot. And he marched me back inside that Chuck E. Cheese and beat the living daylights out of me in front of God and everybody. Made me go back to the cashier to get the right change beat me on the way back to the car. I sat in the back of the car crying. I can still taste the salt from my tears in my own mouth. He said, you're going to eat every piece of that pizza. It was a large pie. I was nine years old. That didn't really sound like a punishment on most days, right? You want to eat that whole pie by yourself. But I knew that I had done something so wrong. I ate that pizza until I was nauseous because I didn't want to get hit again. And I can remember weeks and years after that, I'll be at restaurants to this day. I'm 48 years old. And to this day, I have trauma sometimes when the receipt comes out to pay for the tip. If I got to round up a number, oh, Jesus, please let it end with zeros. <laughs> I'll be using my fingers, my toes, tapping just to try to get the right number because it screwed with me with with math. So guess what I have to do? I got to take a little pill every day. Father, help me. Forgive him. Forgive him. Isn't it so interesting that Jesus goes from talking about a tree, and I, I got to hurry up. He goes from talking about a tree now into this story about slavery. He says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should simply say, we are unworthy servants and we have simply done our duty. In other words, I think Jesus is contextualizing the act of forgiveness, that it is our duty. We don't need to be pat on our back about it. How do we forgive somebody who's not worthy of it? It's our duty as disciples. Because God knows, and this is why I think he flips the argument to something about slavery. Because here it is, a slave to God is freer than a person that's a slave to a grudge. And so, he does something here. He says, you need to be free. When Jesus hung on the cross, the reason why I'm a Christian today is because a perfect person experienced evil and didn't escape evil. And, and so the gospel is beautiful because a perfect person still had to deal with, am I going to be bitter? If you really believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so he goes to his father and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Can I say something to you? Sometimes people are hurting us and they don't even know what they're doing. My dad didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know that he was going to mess up his son in some ways. And so I've got to forgive him because sometimes those things aren't intentional. Listen to me. The beauty of the cross is that outstretched arms can never hold a grudge. 
So Paul says, I die daily. Why? So that you don't hold on to stuff that you could hold on to. Uh, listen to me. Think about what Jesus says. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Prayer allows us to have a better request instead of a bitter response. When you pray, you can have a better request. Father, forgive them instead of having a bitter response. Now, here's where I land the plane. Why does Jesus say that we can take this tree, uproot it, and throw it into the sea? Seems weird because Israel was not a nautical nation. It wasn't a seafaring nation. In fact, if you look at history, the Jewish people were very afraid of drowning. They weren't nautical people. They would fish, but they wouldn't launch deep out into the sea. And, and, and I think it's fascinating that Jesus says that the tree should be uprooted and cast into the sea. Here's my, this is the Wayne Francis translation, not available any other place, but at Substance Church tonight. Can't verify. Why does he say it? I think it's because Jesus knows that we need to cast our unforgiveness in a place where its roots can't get attached again. Some of us have uprooted and forgiven people, but we've planted our unforgiveness in the soil of another marriage, in the soil of another church, in the soil of another job, in the soil of another state, and it's just reattached itself in soil. And Jesus is saying there are certain trees that you've got to put in the sea so that it never gets attached to anything else that will allow it to produce bitter fruit. So every day I'm asking for forgiveness, and I'm trying to forgive. And, and the Lord has allowed me to have a relationship with my father, and I've had to ask people for forgiveness. I preached on the stage of a, a pastor that I said something not too nice about, and I repented in front of his entire congregation before I got there, of course. Because forgiveness is so powerful. I wept on stage because forgiveness is so beautiful. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Before we get in 21 days of prayer, some of us need to forgive somebody. For some people, we need to pray about the pain that were caused. Some of us, we need to pray about a person. For others, we need to pray about an entire people group, maybe. But we all need to pray because here's what I know. And here's why I think I can find some of you that haven't responded yet. Are you ready? Barna says, more than one-fifth of practicing Christians report struggling with receiving forgiveness for something they've personally done wrong. So in other words, there are people in this place you haven't forgiven yourself for your former addiction, for your bad habit, for what you did to your kid, for your previous marriage for the way you weren't a good enough father to your first set of kids, to the way that you haven't been a good enough. You need to forgive yourself tonight. And the Bible says, you, Lord, are forgiving and good and abounding in love to all who call on you. So as we stand in this room today, how many of us need to put a tree in the sea? Maybe the way that you unlock your spiritual growth this year is to uproot the angst that you've had with a coworker for a long time. Or maybe you have the same residual impact sometimes because of something that your parent did to you. There's one little pill that God is trying to give us today, and it could be you saying one sentence, I forgive you. And you don't need somebody to apologize to you for hurting you. Because forgiveness is not about receiving an apology. Forgiveness isn't even about keeping score. It's about losing score. That's right. 
And so maybe instead of waiting for an apology, you'll receive the grace of God that he's given you with a small piece of faith. So everybody all across this room, hands up as a sign of surrender. Our team is coming back to sing. We're going to worship here in a second. Let me just say to us right now, Lord, help me to forgive. Come on, let's pray that out, everybody. Help me to forgive. I forgive the person that's in your mind right now. Maybe you don't want to utter out that person's name, but maybe it's somebody in your life right now. Come on, everybody at Substance Church, I want us to forgive, and we need to be people that ask the Lord for forgiveness for the hurt and the harm that we might have caused others intentionally or maybe even unintentional. Come on, everybody. Let's put some trees in the sea. Come on, let's put some trees in the sea. There's going to be some people that are going to move here into the altar space. You're going to walk out of your seat in this next moment, not because you're embarrassed or you're ashamed. It's because you're starting to feel more free than you've ever felt in your entire life. Already on this first Wednesday, you're already feeling free because you're laying it down. Come on, is there anybody in this room that's uprooting some stuff out of the soil of your heart? Come on, some of us got to get bicep deep into the soil of our heart and uproot some stuff. Come on and let's celebrate God and let's get into the soil of our souls. Come on, Nate.